Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. When you first learned that Jesus was going to return one day, when you first heard about it and thought about it, what emotion did it create in you? Tell me, just shout it out. Yeah. It took me a while to get to that, but I like that. Somebody else. What? Joy. Anybody else? Have me my water. Hope. Victory. Y'all aren't being honest. Who, when they first thought about it, it made you a little bit afraid? Man, as a kid, I grew up in a preacher's home. I heard about it all the time. I was at a camp one time, and they had a malfunction in the PA system, and this loud sound. All of a sudden, my heart started beating, and I ran out from under. We ran a, like a, had a roof, but it didn't have sides. I ran out and looked up in the sky. I, it just, I was afraid. And then I went through a season as a teenager. Lord, I know you're coming, but man, could you wait till after I find the right girl and I'm married and we have a baby? I mean, you know, it, it began to be a bargaining thing. And then after three surgeries and a crazy year called 2020. It's like, Lord Jesus, come on. Anytime you want to come, we are ready. It's funny how the seasons of life affect your anticipation. And it's okay because that's just a part of it. We all want a great return story. I mean, the thought of him coming is so cool And then I began to look and see how many movies have been made based on the hero returning. Are you ready? Here are the top ones. The Return of the Jedi. Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. The Return of the Living Dead. Batman Returns. The Mummy Returns. Superman Returns. Mary Poppins Returns. But the one I'm most excited about is Jesus returns. He's coming back. And so for us, it's just the complexity of that event that sometimes takes away from the power of that event. So let me put the timeline back up here for a minute. We talked about a story that started in the Garden of Gethsemane, I mean the Garden of Eden, and moves to another garden where everything is perfect. And one day he's, he's going to finish what he started. In that story, there's a season of tribulation. And, and then all of a sudden, he comes. Now, around this, there's a lot of complexity. In fact, Jesus only spoke of his return once. Now, he did in Revelation, but that's the resurrected Lord When he was on earth ministering for those three years, he spoke of his return one time. Now, Matthew has it. Chapter 24 of Matthew. Mark has it. Chapter 13. Luke has it. 
but just once. And when he speaks of it, which is where we're going to read today, it's hard to follow exactly what those events are or exactly when. And, and let me tell you why. It's because the reckoning of time is not the same. I remind you to the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is one day. So Jesus has only been gone two days. And we don't see time the same way. Neither we see events happening all at the same time. We, we look at, we want to spread it out. And even when we do, time is compressed when Jesus talks about it, but not when we think about it. I remember the first time I went up into Orlando I. When we got to the top, I, I was bound and determined to find the church, find the roof of the church. I found it. And when I found the church looking from up there, I didn't realize that Camping World Stadium is in our parking lot. It looks, go up, I, I, I double dog dare you, go up and look. It looks like Camping World is in the parking lot of this church. But yet we know it's because our perspective is not perfect. Well, I may have a way to show you why the complexity or maybe how to keep the complexity in mind. I believe it is a divine thing. Ambiguity is all throughout this subject. I think it's purposeful. Could Jesus have told us events? Yes. My goodness, everybody else is. I mean, I'm getting books that know more than Jesus. I, how is that? I, I even, somebody sent me a TikTok and there are, there was a crate of red heifers that arrived in Israel on September the 16th. Now, if you know anything about Jewish tradition and a little bit of Levitical tradition out of the Old Testament, the red heifer will be a part, according to some, and they believe that the fifth red heifer will be sacrificed by the Messiah himself. How many have been sacrificed since the time of Moses? Four. So all of a sudden, red heifers mean something. Then I, get a, 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 I, get, I see a headline go across my phone. Pat Sajak, Will of Fortune guy. Pat Sajak says the end is near. Do you think I opened that and read it? Yes. I'm like, man, if God gave Pat Sajak a word, let's get it. I'd like to buy a vowel or, or something. I mean, give me a little help here. You know what he said? Will of Fortune is near the end. I don't think it can go much longer. I'm like, oh, come on, Pat. I thought you were talking about Jesus. So all of this complexity, watch this. How many of you like puzzles? Not crossword. I'm talking about little pieces, like 500, 1,000, whatever. Y'all like them? Okay, let me pray for you. <laughs> I, can't, I cannot do them. I, it's just frustrating to me, and it's time-consuming. But my grandchildren, oh, my goodness. They can work a puzzle. Sorry can work a, pu work a puzzle when he's like two years old. He was amazing. So I got a puzzle, and it's of Jesus, okay? All right? This is what it's like trying to figure out his return. And all the events, okay? All the events, okay? It's like, oh, gosh, let's see. Daniel says there's going to be the 70th. All right, maybe that goes here. And then Revelation mentions 1,280 days. Is that here? And then what does this mean? 
And I'm just looking through, and believe me, I've, I've looked at the pieces. And I'm still trying to put them together. And I just don't know for sure how they go together, but I know one thing for sure. I know what it looks like at the end. The picture is on the box. Don't forget the box. Jesus is trying to say, I'm coming. And that's the picture that I want you to see this morning. I'm not sure of all the pieces and where exactly they fit. I have my own ideas, but I know this. I know we know what it looks like because Jesus said, I am coming. And I want you to read with me how he describes it. I just think this ambiguity is to get our focus where it belongs. And that is not on the pieces, but on the picture. That's what the world needs to see. And that's what we need to hear. So let's open a Bible. Mark 13. If you got a, a Bible, go to Mark chapter 13. And as we read, I'm going to give you three words, okay? I want you to write these words down. They'll be on the screen. Let me put them back up here. Visible, victorious, vindication. Those three words describe for me what I can expect when he comes, okay? Visible, victorious, and vindication. Now, let's read what Jesus said, and it's just really a few verses. Verse 24, he actually gets to the part about his return. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he shall send out, or he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now, I can understand that, and it helps me. When Luke records that, Luke actually gives a little more description according to Jesus, and then Luke finishes with this. Lift up your head. Your redemption is drawing nigh. In other words, look up. There's a mission. There's something we should do now. Instead of trying to mess with the pieces of the puzzle and spend all our time trying to, and by the way, spend all our time fighting one another over the pieces of the puzzle, let's look up and let's be about a mission that he gave us. But keeping in mind the end with these words, number one, visible. Everything up until this point, Jesus has described as birth pains. Ladies, without the help of technology, you did not see your baby until what? Bingo. I mean, it happened. But you had birth pains. We're living in a world filled with birth pains. Jesus said that. We just hadn't seen the baby. But when the baby comes, you will see him. I will see him. And there will be an unmistakable, I call it cosmic chaos that happens in the heavens. Jesus said the sun's going to be dark and the moon is not going to give its light and the stars will be falling from the heavens and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Luke repeats that same thing. So what is the deal with being shaken? 
It's actually a very strong theological word. Fifteen times it's used in the New Testament, and it's almost always used in light of God doing something to shake the universe. So is it possible he's going to, when Jesus comes, it, it's an earthquake? I personally think that when Jesus died and the earth shook, that was a sign of what was to come. Because he's going to shake the heavens. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, years later, wanted the Christians to know this. He said, now don't forget this. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, say it with me, yet once more. That's when Jesus comes. I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken or there's another way to translate it, shakable. You say, what does that mean? He tells us. That is things that have been made by us. Okay? Things that have been made that have to change. In order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Give the Lord praise for that. That is one of the most encouraging verses. Hey, he's going to shake it and let everything that's not tied down come loose, and then what's left will be the kingdom of God and God as he purposed it to be. Now, we're going to see him, according to Paul, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is one of the biggest verses you can read. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 13, he's answering a question about what happened to those who die. Do they miss out on when Jesus comes? And Paul's going, nope. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant about that. And then he tells him this. So if you've, if you've got it where you can open it to that, go to that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He says in verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. That means the Lord told us this. That we who are alive and are left until the coming of the Lord, we will not precede those who have already fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, notice he uses we, Paul thinking he was going to be there when Jesus comes back. Yep. Is it okay for us to think we're going to be alive when Jesus comes back? Yep. We who are alive will be caught up together. Hang on to that idea. Caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I'll tell you what I love about this passage. He's coming for us. And we will see him. But you know what else? Who's with him? Who is he bringing with him when he comes? I'll tell you who's going to be there. My mom's going to be there. I'll tell you who else I'm going to see. I'm going to see my father. I'm going to see some people out of this dear church that were the most wonderful people in the world, and they're going to be with him. I'm going to see some of my best friends that I've had to stand at their funeral 
and say goodbye. I'm going to see them. They're coming with me. If you've ever lost somebody in faith, you have a day to look forward to. Not only will Jesus be seen visibly by all, so will the ones that you've said goodbye to. And you know what? I might even throw this in. We lost a cat this week. We had to put, her, put him down. His name was Elijah. I think Elijah will be there. He's coming back with him. And so will whatever your pet's name was. Because God is going to recreate everything and make it brand new. So what's the point? It's hopeful. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And he uses a word in this text called parousia. That's the Greek word for it. People always want to talk about the rapture. I believe in a rapture. I just believe the rapture may happen at the same time of his coming because the word rapture is not in the Bible. It's a Latin word. The Greek word is parousia. Parousia means a king is coming back to his people. His people are drawn to him. They run to him. They're in his presence, and they come in a parade, in a victorious parade into where he reigns. It was a very common term in Greek Greek places, and it was an exciting term. But it was people wanting to see their king, and when they saw him, they would join him. And I read a quote that says, when Jesus comes, hey, your job is just get behind your king. You only have one of two options. You're either going to see his face and run, or you're going to line up behind him as one of his, and I will be behind my king when he comes. And that's where I want you to be. So in that moment, he comes. And literally, we join him, and there's this incredible reign of Jesus that begins what most call a millennial reign. Now, he's going to be visible. Second word, victorious. When he comes, the scripture says he will come in power and glory. The first time he came, he came in quietness, was born in a manger stable, literally, place in a manger, in Bethlehem. Next time he comes, he will come with the heavens opening up and the shout of the archangel. Everything happens to announce his coming. He comes in victory. First time, he came to die. Second time, he's coming to reign as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The first time he came to defeat Satan, the second time he comes is to declare his victory and gather his own. The first time he came, he came to be rejected and called a criminal. No, the second time he comes, he will be worshiped and called the king of kings and the Lord of lords. His coming is victorious. There will be the defeat of our enemy, the one who has been against us. He's known as Satan in the Bible. You can call him evil, call it evil, whatever you want to refer to it. Satan will be defeated. Evil will be defeated. Let me show you what Paul said about Jesus when he comes. There's going to be such brilliance. And then the lawless one. Who is that? That's the Antichrist. Is that Satan? That's probably not Satan himself, but he's certainly an operator for Satan. He will be defeated. When the lawless one is revealed, I think the Antichrist will show up shortly before. I don't think he's going to, Antichrist is going to be around a long time. He's going to be here a short time. He's going to deceive the nations. He's going to do everything he can to deceive you. But about the time he shows up to deceive, guess who else shows up? (laughs) Whom the Lord Jesus will kill 
with the breath of his mouth and to bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Look at this word. Appearance. He doesn't get him with a sword. He doesn't shoot a bow and arrow at him. He just shows up and the glory of Jesus is all it takes to destroy our enemy. I mean, it's a picture, it's a picture of a bully. Satan has been a bully. The Antichrist is just a bully, and he's threatened, and he's caused us to be afraid, and he's caused us to get off the playground because we're going to get hurt, and he's told us all kinds of lies. Well, guess what? One day, that bully's day is over because Jesus is coming to say, enough is enough. Game over. And by his appearance, he will destroy him. And even by his appearance, his victory will be signaled by the sun and the moon and the stars go dim. I mean, this is crazy. Again, at the crucifixion, I think there was a foreshadowing of this because the earth grew dark. Did you know Joel the prophet said that one day the sun and moon will grow dark and the stars will diminish in their brightness? Joel chapter 3. I believe if you go outside right now, by the way, is it raining out there? No. Not yet. You can look up. Did you know the stars are there just like they are at night? There are just as many stars out there right now. Well, why can't you see them? The sun. On that day, the whole world will go into darkness. Why? You won't be able to see a thing. Why? Because there's another sun that's going to be shining that day. S O. In and his appearing will be brilliant, and everything else will be lost in that moment. And everybody will see him, and everybody will know something has happened. It's going to be moving. I've never, I, these verses get left out of the story of his coming, but I want to show them to you. Matthew 24, same thing as, as Mark 13, but Matthew says, that when Jesus returns, let me show you, all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Now, by the way, tribes means people. It's, it's just a word that means every people group, every person. Every person will mourn. It's emotional. Every person. Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, is where John on the Isle of Patmos, the disciple John, is getting information about it. And Jesus tells him this. He said, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, and even those who pierced him. What do you think that moment's going to be like for those who hung him on the cross? Now you know why there's wailing and mourning. For those who rejected him, for those who made fun of him, for those who just pushed him aside. Hey, all the tribes, all the people of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so come. What I believe is that when we see him, there will be incredible emotion. For those that are not a believer, there will be the emotion of regret. There will be the mourning of something you missed, you rejected, you wouldn't believe. And in that moment, you're going to know you missed it. For those that <clears throat> believe, I just think it's for us, it's, it's moving. This is, the, this is the one who died for us. We, we'll see his hands that took the nails. We'll see his brow. I mean, we'll, we'll see him face to face, the one that gave himself for us. That's why Paul so often talks about eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus. 
He describes it as those loving his appearance. Man, over and over when Paul talks about Jesus coming, he mentions emotions like eagerly awaiting. Is it okay to want to see him? Is it okay to long for that moment? Absolutely it is. There's a song that's been done supposedly on a, a true story of a school that had uh, special needs students. And every day the teacher would read about the return of Jesus and she would tell them one day Jesus is coming for you because you are special to him. And she said, one day those clouds are going to open. She'd tell them that story every day. And they said the only problem she had in that classroom was keeping the windows clean. Because those boys and girls would go and press their fingertips and their noses to the glass to see if today might be the day. There is nothing wrong. A.W. Tozer said most of our longing for Jesus is theological. But he said for him, it's emotional. I just can't wait for the one who will reign over this world and there will be justice and there will be peace and there will be love and there will be everything that it was supposed to be. And I don't know about you, but when I saw my bride coming down the aisle, when Rachel started down the aisle, I went into that thinking, I'm going to be a man. I'm not going to cry. I've seen so many cry. I'm going to go in there and bow up and just stand there and smile and be at calm and didn't make it, stood there and cried like a baby. Why? Sadness? No. Regret? No. Like, what have I done? No. <laughs> Those thoughts came later, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Make sure you tell Rachel that. I, I, I lost it. I was in a puddle. And the, mm, the first time I saw my child born, my firstborn, I was a wreck. And when I saw my grandchildren born, I was done. Why? Because it's what I longed for. It's what I looked forward to. That's why the word Maranatha it's so beautiful. It's what we can look forward to. Jesus is coming. And he's coming for us. And we will see him. It will be visible. It will be victorious. And one more, it'll be vindicating. Did you know the Bible teaches that at the name of Jesus, this is Paul writing into the Philippians chapter 2, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. You know what the word every is in Greek? Every. <laughs> What does that mean? Every. Does that mean most? No. Every knee will bow. And then he says, those above earth, that's the heavens, that's the angels. Those on the earth, that's every human being that's ever lived. And those under the earth, that's every demon that has given you all kinds of, you know what? That's every time Satan has tempted you and come at you. That's every demonic spirit will what? They will confess, they will bow, and they will proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord. On that day, the vindication of his coming is that, yes, he is who he said he was, and he will be forever the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's just praise him. Let's tell him, Jesus, we believe, we know that. And then his church. Some people think the church is falling apart. People are sending me this article that's come out about how Christianity is no longer the, the majority in this country or it's going to soon not be the majority. 
you know what? I, I appreciate your studies and your graphs and all your predictions. I know the church is going to grow through some tough seasons and there's going to be persecution coming. I believe that. But let me tell you, I don't believe the church is falling apart. I believe it's coming together because Jesus is coming for his church. And he will bring from the four corners of the earth. He's coming to get his bride. And it uses the word elect. He's going to come get us. And he's going to take us to himself. And so the last picture that John on the island of Patmos saw about his coming. Revelation 19. This is the moment where we see how his coming is described. It'll blow your mind. I want to read it for you because it's so incredible. And here is what John wrote down about the coming of Jesus. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. On his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called the word of God and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. I'm in that group. You'll be in that group. That's the parousia. That's when we line up behind him and we come. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe, and on his thigh, he has a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Welcome, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's stand together and worship him. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.